of you, you can have a seat. Thank God. Hope you brought a Bible this morning. If you didn't, you can look at the screen. And then just next time, bring a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. Um, although, it is kind of fun to go down to the store and pick out your own. It's going to be yours. I believe uh, it's funny because uh, I, you know, I, I worked uh, in a Christian bookstore for a while and you know, as assistant manager and still part owner. And so I know what it's like to, um, you know, have, have that desire to say, oh, this is a new Bible, this is a new Bible. And I've got lots on my shelf. Um, but it is nice to have one that you, you, you use for study and that you, you bring to church. And it gets pretty well worn after a while, but, man, it's life to you. And somebody said, and, 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 you know, it has a degree of truth to it. Somebody once said, if your Bible is so well used that it's falling apart, your life probably isn't. You know, if, it, if it's, if it's well-worn and battered, well, probably you're doing better than that because uh, somebody that really gets into the Word and, and finds their life in it is going to do well. It's going gonna, it's gonna, to, uh, doesn't mean that everything's always rosy, doesn't mean that everything's always nice, but in the times when, when everything seems to fall around you, if you're standing on the Word, Jesus said, the ones that build His life on my Word and hears it and does it, that person won't shake in a storm, that person won't crumble in a storm. That person's still going to be standing. So thank God we believe that. And um, I, I, I just, so I encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Uh, I know we have it on the screen, and you could just put your Bible down and look at it. But it's so much better to see it for yourself so that you can know that I'm not making this stuff up. And you can go home, and you can check it out, and you can read. Um, you know, I, we only have so much time to read just a, a, a bit of the Scripture in the short time that we're together on a Sunday morning. What, what I'd love for you to be able to do is take your Bible home and the parts that we read, read what came before that and read what came after that so that you can see what's going on in the bigger picture. You know, it's real easy for somebody to make a point and just pick this scripture and that scripture and put them all together and make you think something. But you know what? When we see it in its original context, when you see it how it's written, it's hard to disguise the truth. And uh, not that we'd ever want to do that, but sometimes you only get a, a small picture of what he's saying. And so I encourage you, go home, read the whole book, read the whole letter, read, read uh, the whole paragraph before and the paragraph after, and get a better understanding of what God is saying. Because the truth of the matter is, this Bible is not God's word from 2,000 years ago. This Bible is God's word to you right now. It's alive. How many of you know that God is in the future? He's in the past. He's not bound by time. Time, linear time as we know it, is something that you have to deal with while you're here. But God doesn't have to deal with linear time. The Bible calls him the ancient of days. It says he was before all things. It says before anything was created, he existed. He's always existed and he always will exist. Try to figure that out. If you think you understand eternity, think about that for a little bit. That he's always existed and he always will exist. That will give you a headache if you let it. No, I'm not going to confess that over you. But if you think too hard over that, you're going to want to take a nap. You know, it's just kind of, that's a big thought. Because, because even right now, we can't process that something doesn't have a beginning or an end. In our world, there's a beginning and there's an end, right? That's how things work. And, and time always moves in this, in this direction. Now, unless you're Einstein and you, you start talking about the theory of relativity and talk about uh, maybe time is, is on a curve and all of that, that the Battle of Hastings could actually be happening right now. That kind of stuff will also give you uh, a need for a nap. So, so don't get too far into that. But know this, time that we know it, as we know it, is purely something we're dealing with on earth. It's not something that God has to deal with. Think how fast can he move? Can he move faster than the speed of light? Yes, he can. He's already been to the future. He's already been to the past. He's omnipresent. So he's already seen 2012. And when he spoke his word 2,000, 4,000, 6,000 years ago, in all of those cases when he spoke, he already was here. So he didn't say, well, I don't know if this is going to hold up. I don't know if time is going to hold this thing up. This could this could become really irrelevant someday. No, no, when he spoke it, he knew what you'd deal with. 
He was already there. And this word is alive. If you let it be, it is alive. This is the thing. When God speaks, when God speaks, things happen, right? When God speaks, things are created. When God speaks, things come alive. Do we believe in a real God? Because if we don't believe in a real God, I don't know why we would come to church continually. I understand maybe you're checking it out, maybe you're seeking. But, you know, after a while, you've got to make a choice. Do I believe there is a God? I do. And it's not just a belief based on wouldn't it be nice if there was. I've experienced him. I've seen him. I may not have seen his face, but I've seen him all over the place. I've seen miracles. I've seen signs and wonders. I've seen my own life changed and lives changed around me. So I know that God exists. You know that God exists. If he does, can we take him seriously? It's okay for somebody that doesn't believe in God to think like, well, this book is just a a nice little book with some nice stories and maybe we can learn some moral lessons from it. That's okay for somebody that doesn't believe in the living God, but that is not an attitude of somebody that really believes that there is a God, that Jesus came and bore your sin on the cross and he rose again. You can't take the Bible lightly after you believe that. Because if we believe that, we believe he spoke these words. If you believe, no matter how long you think the world's been around, I, re- I understand there's Christians that have different theories about that. And I, and okay, we, there's room for this. But if you believe there was a God that created it all, a God above it all that created it all, then you know the power of his word. When he said light, there was light. When he breathed life into man, there was life. And so if you believe that, You've got to believe that every word he speaks has equal power. Every word he speaks has just as much power as that let there be light. When he said let there be light, there was not a, there was not a fight whether light would, would, would come or not. He said, I don't speak a word and have it fall to the ground. It says every word that God speaks will come to pass, will accomplish what he sent it to do, won't return to him without doing its job. Isaiah 55 says, as the sun, or sorry, as the rain falls, as the snow falls, and they affect the ground what they fall on, they, I mean, you, whether or not it was enough rain or too much rain, either way, when it rains, it changes something. So his word always changes something. Last week we talked about the parable of the sower. Does it, how many of you were here for that? Praise God. All right. And you also got the treat of having uh, hip-hop praise and worship, right? That was fun. That was fun. Fresh IE, thank God for him and his group that came. And what's cool is they were blessed just as much as we were blessed. They said, man, we, uh, we just felt we were supposed to come here and hear that message. So thank God. God's able to do things like that. But that parable of the sower is so valuable because Jesus said, if you can't get that parable, you can't understand the other parables. This is a foundational truth for a believer that you have to prepare your heart to hear. You have to guard your heart because he gave you four stages that the word goes through, four, four types of hearts that the word has to penetrate. The first type of heart was a hard heart. Do you remember that? That was the heart that was compared to throwing seed on, on the road. Seed on the road will not grow. It will bounce off and birds come and eat it, right? So he says the sa- it's just the same with somebody that comes in with a hard heart. You come to church. You don't want to hear anything. You, you say, I'm going to listen. I'm going to sit here but I don't need to hear anything that they have to say. Well, don't be surprised when this stuff doesn't work in your life because you didn't let it in. It just bounces right off, and and it says immediately Satan comes and he just steals the word away. It does you no good. The next group of people were the shallow-hearted people, the people with the rocky soil. It says that they, they got excited during the service. They got excited when the teaching was happening. They got excited. They may have jumped up and said amen, but it never really took root in their life. And so the next time something hard came, the next time there was a hard time, next time there was a storm, or next time the the heat really got turned on, they just shriveled away. And so these are the people that that might come to church and and have a good time and get excited and and even like what you preach and even say, boy, that's my favorite message. But if you don't let it really sink down deep, the next time you're going to like it as long as things are going well. But the next time something starts to go hard, they just shrivel away. Well, of course, the third heart was a busy person, a crowded heart. This is somebody that has received the word, let it grow in them, but what happened? They let other things 
creep in and, and, and crowd out their life. They let, uh, it says, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for other things start to creep in. And, and maybe your job starts to take over. Maybe entertainment takes more of a place in your life than it needs to. Maybe just obligations. Maybe even you think you're doing something for God, but you're doing it in your own strength, and you're just staying busy. You're just doing busy work. After a while, the word gets crowded in your life. I find that busyness is my, is my one big thing I need to fight because what I'll find is if I let myself get busy, 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 I'll find that the word that I've taken the time to let grow in my heart, I've, I, I'll find that the times with the Lord where you're just alone and you're just spending time with Him, those are so valuable because you get fueled up, you get refreshed, you get revived, you get strengthened, you get built up. If you don't have that, your level gets low. Do you know what happens? You get busy, 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 even doing the things for God. You get busy. You find yourself a little more annoyable, irritable. People bug you a little bit more than they used to bug you. You're, you're not as uh, quick to forgive. You're not as quick to uh, rejoice in the midst of something that, that maybe isn't pleasant. You're, you, you start to find yourself... Uh, saying things you normally wouldn't say. You don't, you don't respond uh, out of love, but you rather respond from the flesh. Well, this is, this is what happens. That's, that's all the fruits of the Spirit getting crowded out when you're so busy that your spiritual level starts to go down because you haven't spent that time with the Lord being revived, being letting Him just, letting Him just fill you with His life and His strength and His joy and His peace and you start doing it on your own, you get so busy that those are the evidences of somebody that's let the word get a little crowded in their life. It's just gotten too busy. You see these things in your own life, cut some things out, and spend some time with Jesus. You can't replace time with the Lord. You can't, take, you can't replace it. You can't, you can't um, cram for it. You can't store up for it. You ever tried to store up sleep? You ever, you ever said, I used, to think that, I used to think that this might work when I was a teenager, you know? I know I'm, uh, and next week I'm not going to get a lot of sleep, so I'm going to sleep as much as I can this week. And so I'm ready. Does that work? No, it really doesn't, does it? You may think it's going to work. You may think, well, I'm so busy next week, I'm really going to cram. I'm going to cram the word in this week. But you know what? There's no replacement for that time with the Lord. There's no, there's no replacement for it. Now, I understand when, when you just have no choice and you're, but, but, God has created you for fellowship with him. You can't survive without that. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So a crowded heart is, is a heart that becomes unfruitful, the Bible says. And you know, all those fruits of the Spirit in your life, all those good things that flow out of a Spirit-filled life, they start to go down when you get too busy. Don't let yourself get too busy for the things that really matter. Amen? Because you know as well as I do, that you could say, well, I've noticed that I am, I'm sleeping about eight hours. Maybe you're sleeping like five hours. But those are five to eight hours that you could be working. So if you came up with a genius idea, I'm, I'm wasting five to eight hours a day. I could be working those five to eight hours. And you just decided not to sleep anymore? Do you think you'd get more work done in the long run? No because you might die, or you at least, your body would finally say, no, I'm not doing this anymore, and you'd collapse on your desk or something, but that doesn't work. You may think it works. It makes sense up here. I'm wasting all this time sleeping when I could be working, but you need that time refreshing. You need that time to be revived. You need, your body needs that time to rebuild. In the same sense, you may say, I'm too busy to pray. You're too busy not to pray. You have to spend that time with Jesus because that's the time when you are revived and refreshed and you can go out and tackle whatever you're supposed to tackle. So anyways, that's what we talked about last week. And of course, the good heart is a heart that receives it, the heart that accepts the word, that, that lets it sink down deep and begins to bear fruit in their life. It always begins to bear fruit. I'm going to tell you, I, I don't believe that there's a Christian in the world that's properly received the Word of God, that let it sink down deep, 
and hasn't borne fruit. It's impossible. It's a spiritual impossibility. You will bear fruit. If you're not bearing fruit, you need to check why you're not bearing fruit because it's not the Word's fault. It's not, you're not the unique case where God says, you, you never need to bear fruit. Everybody else does, not you. You're special. Nobody's like that. If you're not bearing fruit, there's something wrong. If you're bearing bad fruit, there's something even more wrong. So go back and check the tree. You don't just look at the fruit and go, oh, this stupid fruit. If you, I mean, if you had a tree that kept producing just junk, you don't look at the fruit and go, stupid fruit. Throw it against the wall and go, I, you know, I, 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 w- I think we just need to, I think we just need to discipline these fruit. I think we need to s- just, just give them a stern talking to. I think maybe we need to smack them around. Or, or maybe you think, well, I, I, I got an orange. It came off the tree really messed up. It, uh, or maybe an apple that had worms in it or something. Well, you don't take that apple off the tree and say, I just need to spend more time, let it sit in the sunlight, water it. No, by then it's too late. You need to work on the tree, right? Sometimes we work all our life trying to treat the symptoms of our life and not finding the original cure, the cause. Not trying to find the original reason that we're having these problems. So we go back and, and we see that anybody that receives the word with their whole heart with an honest and sincere heart, lets it sink down deep. Jesus said they will bear fruit. Now, remember, that second person that he talked about, the shallow heart, he said they sprouted up quickly because their soil was so shallow. So don't think that I'm telling you that your fruit's going to always show up right away. Because remember, he says this person, they went up real fast because they weren't putting any roots down. Sometimes your life, you've got a vision of what God wants for you. You know that someday I'm going to do that. And it's a big plan. It's a big dream. Don't be depressed when you don't see that right away. Because a lot of times, the roots need to go down first before something comes up. So sometimes before you see fruit, it's just a matter of roots going down. Now, you will see the fruit of the Spirit. You will see some solid things. But I'm talking about bigger things, like, like the dreams that you have. That, that the things that God's put in your heart, and you say, someday that's me. And you get depressed if you don't see them right away. Don't be like that. Realize, like we said last week, that the tall trees catch most wind. They're the ones that get battered in a storm, and the ones that survive are the ones that have a real good root system. So you can never outgrow your root system. Never outgrow your root system. Never let your ministry be bigger than your relationship with Jesus, with others. Never let your fame outgrow your love. Never let all these things happen. You've got to watch yourself that your roots stay growing and protected just as much as the parts that everybody else sees. It's fun to be the one who's getting tall real fast. It's fun to be the one that's, that's, that's got all this fruit coming out of their life. But you know those roots that no one can see? They're just as important, if not more important. They're the things that will sustain you when the heat comes. Remember in Jeremiah where it says that that the man who trusts in the Lord is a man who has roots that go all the way and they extend to a stream. And it says when there's a drought and the heat comes and the sun beats down on that tree, they don't have to die because their roots are tapped into water. So thank God for that. So I want to continue on that thought. The book of 1 Thessalonians First Thessalonians chapter 1. This is something we've talked about before, but it, it, it does pay to be reminded, doesn't it? You guys didn't sound very convinced of that. It, yeah, <laughs> it does pay to be reminded. First Thessalonians chapter 1 has some good things that we want to talk about this morning. And we're going to start verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope. Listen to that. Work is meant to be done in faith. Labor is meant to be done in love. And hope is always meant to be steadfast in your life. It says we're, we're glad that there's a work of faith in your life. Thank God. Faith isn't just a feeling, is it? 
<laughs> faith isn't a feeling. It acts. It moves. There's a work of faith in your life. There is a love is not just a warm feeling, is it? Is, warm just fuzz, is, is love just warm fuzzies for everybody and you send them a card? And maybe you've graduated and you start sending them e-cards for every little silly little holiday that comes along. Oh, today is a nat- natu- National Chipmunk Day. I sent you a greeting card. That's more, love is way more than that. It says here that, that faith, it says there was a work of faith, there was a labor of love and steadfastness of hope. This was a church that was very much persecuted. In fact, the Apostle Paul makes the reference that, that as the church in Judea was persecuted by the leaders of the, of the, like the, the, leaders in the Jewish religion, the high priests, the, the rulers of the synagogue, as they were persecuted there, and, and you know in Judea, a lot of them had their, ho- their property seized, a lot of them were kicked out of their homes, a lot of them had families disowning them for confessing the name of Jesus. He says in the same way that that happened to the people in Judea, he said, your own people, and he's talking to the Thessalonians, so your own people, and many of them were Greeks, so your own people disowned you and treated you the same way, and you had to deal with some of the same persecution. But you took it and you rejoiced, even in the midst of persecution, you continued to rejoice. And it says that you you, you did this according to the power of God. So here he says that Your hope has been steadfast. It hasn't wavered. Real hope is not affected by what's going on. Real hope is not affected when things get rough. Real hope is steadfast, always moving, always attached to that great throne room of God. And it says here that your hope is in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence of our God and Father. Verse 4, he says this, Knowing, brethren, beloved by God, his choice of you. Thank God. For our gospel did not come to you in word only. I want to read that again. Our gospel did not come in word only. So if you think the gospel is a good message, there's more to it than that. There's more to what we do than just preaching a good message or having a good conversation. It says it didn't come in word only but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Thank God. That means when it came to you, it came with power. It, we didn't just tell you. Thank God, you know when God says to you, you can, I mean, you can, you can quit that, you know, if you had an addiction and you're dealing with it. He can say, right now, you're free. Put that, put that thing down. And if you truly receive that as a word from God, when he says, quit now, you're free, you could be free. That he, it's just, remember when Jesus said to the guy who was lame, the guy who had been lame for all his life, and he's lowered down, and Jesus said to him, now rise and be healed, take up your bed and walk. Understand that when Jesus said, take up your bed and walk, he was not able to do that unless he'd been healed. Everything that God says to you, everything that Jesus says to you, everything the Word says to you is not just a command, it's an empowerment. So if He says, be free, you have the power to be free right there. If He says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover, He's just given you the ability to do that. If He says, take up your bed and walk, you can believe that your legs will work when you try it. You know what I mean? We've got to believe this. That the gospel is never meant to just come in word, but in power. Everything that we preach, if you'll receive it, it will do what God, caused, what God created it to do. It will accomplish something in you. So the very first time you hear, I don't have to be afraid. God has not given me the spirit of fear. That same word, when you receive it, will cast out every other bit of fear in your life, if you'll let it. When you hear... That, 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 oh, thank God, not only has he not given me the spirit of fear, but he's given me the spirit of power, of love, and a sound mind, that when you hear that, it's able to cause those things to spring up in you. When you really believe and you hear a message about joy, no matter what the circumstances, about not losing your joy, about standing, you know, when you hear that, you're filled with that same joy that he's talking about, if you let that happen in your life. Because Jesus does not just advise you. He doesn't just counsel you. He empowers you. His words are not just a command. They're an empowering command. So it's like if I sent you to the store, and I, or if I sent you to the car dealership, and I said, go buy me a car. 
If I just said, go buy me a car, you might say, well, um, okay. And I want the nicest one on the lot. <gasps> okay. You know, that might be a stressful moment, right? Some of you are like, nah, no big deal. Good for you. I have a car. I'm fine. <laughs> this is so anyways, we say, all right, go get me a car. That may be a stressful moment. But what if at the same time that I said, go get me a car, I handed you a check for the exact amount that you needed? Well, that takes the stress away, doesn't it? Suddenly, this is going to be fun. I might enjoy going and get this car because I have the cash for it. I can enjoy a nice trip to the car dealership as long as I can pay for something and don't look like an idiot when they say, how are you going to pay? I don't know. He told me to go get it. But if I give you a check, you're excited. You can go. So you know when Jesus sent to his disciples and he told them to go preach the kingdom, he told them to raise the dead, he told them to heal the sick, he told them to cleanse the lepers. He, when he told them to do that, he said, freely you've received. Now freely give. When he, when he gave us the great commission, the, we, sometimes we just say go into all the world and preach, right? That's the part we know. But remember, right before that, he says, all authority has been given to me, therefore, on heaven and on earth, therefore, go. So Jesus, as he's telling you to do something, is empowering you to do it. He's giving you what you need to get it done. If you let the word come in, the word is alive. Remember last week, we, the, Jesus explained that parable and said the word is a seed, right? He told other parables about the kingdom, starting out small, but then expanding and taking over everything else. That's what the word is supposed to do. If it's a seed, everything that that tree will ever be, say if it's going to be a tree. I know when he's talking about seed, he's talking about wheat and things like that. But, but imagine, a, you know, we're, we're a seed for, uh, you know, you're planting a bush or a tree or something, you know, and we know a lot of trees, they, they get a little pine cone or something. But whatever you have, if it's that seed, Let's just use seed a generic term, whatever it looks like. You can imagine the seed as it is. So if it's a pumpkin seed, you imagine it like a pumpkin seed. If, if, it's a, if we're talking about an acorn, you imagine an acorn. Whatever we're, you just imagine that seed. But if I'm talking about a seed for an oak tree, you understand that everything that tree is ever going to be is in that seed. You don't, you don't plant this and a big seed comes up. Does, is that what happens when you plant seeds? Does, does a big giant seed pop up? No, that's not what happens, right? Uh, uh, something else grows out of it. And you don't, I mean, uh, with a tree, if you planted a tree, a tree doesn't just grow up and, and you have, you just have like a big trunk and you have to come along later and nail branches to it and nail leaves to it and nail, you know, more seeds to those. You don't have to do that, right? Because everything that tree will ever be is right inside that seed. Everything it's ever going to be is already in it. And so the coolest thing about the word being a seed, to me, is that the moment you receive it, even with joy, even when you hear the best sermon you ever thought you'd ever hear, we get somebody, you know, maybe a guest speaker in, and you just get so fired up, and you're excited, and that's the best thing. I feel I can go take over the world. Do you realize that that's the smallest it's ever going to be in you? Even that great moment of if you let it grow, now, if you leave it there, if it do, and then, then it won't get any bigger. But if you'll really receive it, that's as small as it's ever going to be. It can only get bigger in your life. So we have these great moments. You might jump up and shout at, at what somebody's saying, but, but realize this. It's designed to get even bigger. It's designed to grow and take over parts of your life. I found this in my own life that when I really started to learn about the love of God, I thought it was only in one area, but it began to expand. If you let it, it'll, it'll expand in your life and take over other areas you didn't even think needed it. That's what it's designed to do. It's a seed. It's meant to grow. It's not meant to stay the same as the moment you heard it. it it'll get bigger in you if you let it. Isn't that wonderful? So here, he goes on and he says, that it didn't come in word only, but in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. That means there was no doubt. You fully believed what you thought, what you heard. There was not a, there was not a well, maybe this is true, maybe it isn't. No, no, it was full conviction. Well, I mean, that's, that's, 
That's the difference when the word is preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. If you're willing to receive it, it will fully, it, I mean, if, you, if your mind is still not catching up, you get it somewhere. You're understanding that revelation comes to you and it's suddenly the biggest thing that you've ever heard. That's what can happen with the word of God. And it says, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. In verse 6, you also became imitators of us and of the Lord. Having received the word in much tribulation, that means when we came to preach to you, it wasn't a fun time, it wasn't a nice time. When we came, you were going through some hard things. And the moment you first believed, you had to deal with the fact that other people didn't like the fact that you believed. They persecuted them. You received it in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Do those things normally go together unless you're born again? You don't put tribulation and joy together. But when you begin to know what that joy of the Lord really is, it doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. That joy is real. That joy really begins to work strong in you when you need it the most. It says in verse 7, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Ahia, for the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in these two places, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone forth. We talked about this, <laughs> that, one, that, la, that Ahia, or how, you know, it's like a C and an H got married. That, that one's a tough one. Spirit was coaching me on it on a Monday night in, in men's group. We're going through the uh, book of John, and, and we happened to get off a little bit. We started talking about that, that region. But, but what I do know is this. I, I may not know my pronunciation as well as he does, but I do know my history. And when the Romans uh, had Greece, they divided it into two areas. You had the northern area, which was Macedonia, the southern, which was Ahia. And so those two places made up of Greece. And so he says here that the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Now, this is big didn't just sound forth to you. You see, this is what the, the Word is supposed to do. You're not spectators. You're not just people that are here a preacher and, and you go home and say, I want to bring other people to hear the same preacher. That's not how it works. No, I have a job. I'm a pastor. That's, that's what God called me to do. I'm not talking about job as in, like, vocation. I'm talking about a call in life. I know I'm supposed to do that. And I know I have a place in the body but it can't be a professional Christian and amateur Christians. There's no such thing. It's just no such thing, right? We know that we are all fully in this. And so he said the word didn't just go to you. It sounded forth from you. You received it in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Because when it came, it came with power it came with the Holy Spirit. It came with full conviction. You've got to let all those three things work in you. You've got to make sure that when you hear it, you're allowing that word to work in you in a powerful way. That you allow the Holy Spirit to work in you. And you will be fully convicted, fully, fully convinced. We use convict in such a negative term now. We, we think of somebody who's going to jail, convicted. But in this sense, it's talking about that true conviction. You ever talked about somebody that's got convictions? You know, that, that person sticks to their convictions. Do you know what that means? That means that, that you are fully convinced that you know this is right and you're not moving off of it. And so when the gospel came, it came with power, the Holy Spirit, and full conviction. These people believed it with everything they had. And it says that what happened was that the word of the Lord went to them, but after they received it, it sounded forth from them. Remember, they became imitators. They became imitators of the apostles. They became imitators of the Lord. And it says it sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but in every place your faith toward God has gone forth. Every place. People are hearing you all over Greece. They've heard of this place. They've heard of this church. And it says, so that we have no need to say anything. Isn't that cool? You guys are the message. And he says, you're such a message. You're such a sermon to the world that we don't even have to tell people about you because you received it. And what happened? The Word did what the Word does. It created things in you. It transformed you. And it starts to sound forth from you. Your life becomes the greatest sermon that could ever be preached. 
And you may say, I can never preach like Billy Graham. I could never, I could never make myself put words together in that way. I could never, uh, you know, be, be that compelling when I talk. But your life is the sermon that people don't stop listening to. The thing is, you know, I've noticed this, and I think we talked about this on Monday too. I think words and action always go together. I don't think you should ever shut up. I don't think you should ever stop confessing Jesus. I don't think you should ever stop. I don't think you should be ashamed of who he is, right? But you know, there's a point in time where some people stop listening to you. There's a point where they're like, I've heard enough. And they kind of tune you out. But they never stop watching you. You may have relatives that are tired of hearing what you have to say. But they never stop watching you. Your life is a great sermon. The word had sounded forth from them. I love that. I love that image. Sounded forth. Boy, it just seems like it would just go in waves, right? You ever seen how a ever seen how a speaker works? How how sound carries, especially you know, the lower the frequency, the more it spreads. The higher the frequency, the more directed it is. All right. So if we have, uh, you know, you notice in these speakers, they've got they've got a bottom part and then they've got a high part up there that. It does so, you know, some of its some of the high frequencies. Those high frequencies are very direct. But you'll notice, and, and you know, when we get that new sound system, you'll notice this: that you have a like a bass cabinet, something that, that just just one little thing, a box here that that will put out some bass. And you don't have to put it in the middle. You don't have to put a bunch of them pointing to everybody. Because what happens is, when it starts to work, then that bass frequency is the type that it spreads. It just goes in all directions. So no matter where you are in the room, you'll feel that bass. So as, as you may know, living in Lloydminster at 11 o'clock at night, you'll feel that bass. Somebody's driving by. You know, let it be a sweet, sweet sound. We have a straight, we have a nice straight road right in front of ours. Well, I had some young gentlemen last night while we were trying to sleep test out their tires. Hey, how, how can we squeal them? I wonder if we can leave cool black marks in the bank parking lot. So, so we know about the base, and it does spread. But I love that image. Just like it might spread if it was in that little speaker, that it might start small, but it goes out. It goes out, and the further it goes, the wider it is. But you know, that can only happen when people really receive the word it's not just a person preaching it because if it's just a person preaching it it can only go as far as that person's voice but if it's you if it's the people then it spreads it spreads it spreads i love acts chapter 19 we've talked about that plenty of times i love i love how it talks about when paul was in ephesus and he goes, and it says, for two years he taught daily in the school of Tuanus. And some disciples were coming, and they were hearing his word daily. For two years he was there teaching. But it said, so the word spread to all of Asia. Now, we may say God's omnipresent, but we know Paul's not omnipresent. He can only be one place at once. And this is before the internet. So if he's daily in Ephesus teaching how does all of Asia hear the word of the Lord well it's all about those people that came and heard that teaching they got it and they went out so I love that sound the word has sounded forth from you it sounded forth from you it 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 resonated throughout the whole continent and it says in every place your faith toward God has gone forth so we have no need to say anything about you for they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we have with you and how you turn to God from idols to serve a living and true God. It is a turning. We were talking earlier today before we started the sermon, we were talking about uh, some of the old traditions of my ancestors, of some of your ancestors, how we had to at some point turn. You couldn't just mix them. They don't mix well. You turned from the idols to serve a, what's the difference between God and idols? A living and true God. I love when God mocks the idols. Oh, and he says, you ever notice that you just took that tree and you cut part of it up 
and said, this will keep me warm at night. And the other part you carved a nose onto and said, this will save my life. This is my God. And God just mocks them time after time and says, how silly it is that you've created a God in your own image. You don't understand how, how amazing he's saying to them. You don't understand how real I am. I am a true living God. The book of Psalms says they worship gods that can't speak. They worship gods that can't see. They worship gods that can't hear. And he says they that worship them will become like them. You won't be able to see. And I'm not talking about with your eyes here. I'm talking about spiritually. You become blind. You can't hear the voice of God. You can't sense anything more than just basically what you can feel and touch with our five physical senses. But here, it's so wonderful that he says, you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven. That's awesome, isn't it? Wait for his son from heaven because I believe that anybody that is full of the Spirit, anybody that's excited about Jesus, you're also excited about the fact that He's coming again. Thank God. That's exciting. We're looking forward to that. I can't tell you what day it's happening, but I know that it's coming. I'm excited about it. And you know what? You don't get so caught up in it uh, that you can't do anything today, that you're just, you know, staying in bed thinking, whoa, that's going to be so wonderful, staying on the Internet, looking at all the theories, you know, you need to get out there and, and, and realize that the day of the Lord is coming, so live like it's coming. Get out there. And, and Jesus, the, Jesus said, when I come back, I want to find you doing something. I don't want to find you on the Internet. I want to find you doing something. I want When the boss comes back, how do you act when the boss comes back? Well, I know you guys are so honest and full of integrity that you, you work as under the Lord, so you, you work well whether the boss sees you or not. But how... In the world, how do you act? When the boss comes back, you want to be working. Have you ever had a moment, have you ever had one of those days when you, that was one of the hardest days you've ever worked, and you did your job so well that you took one break, and that was when the boss came back? <laughs> right? You ever notice that? That's never fun. Well, he wants to come finding you doing what he sent you to do. Wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead. That is Jesus who rescues us. Who rescues us from the wrath to come. Thank God. Thank God. I love it. In the next chapter, we'll just read this and then we'll, we'll wrap it up. The next chapter he says this in verse 13. Well, let's, let's start in verse 9. He says, for you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave towards you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. You see, a couple verses before he said we were tender towards you like a mother to her children. Now he says, we're exhorting you and imploring you and encouraging you as a father would to his own children so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Don't you just get excited that that's a possibility? Don't you just get excited that you are enabled to walk in a manner worthy of God? That's cool. Because I know I've been made worthy, right? In status. But because I've been made worthy in status, I can walk in a manner worthy of him. That is super cool to me. Now, I can't do that in my own strength because I don't have enough strength to do that. But that's wonderful. Now, look at this. He says, verse 13, for this reason. Now, no, I didn't finish that. Worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. He's the one that calls you into his kingdom. He's the one that calls you into glory. And that voice is like a tractor beam. When he said, Lazarus, come forth, it sucked Lazarus out of the bosom of Abraham. It sucked Lazarus out of death into life. So you can believe that's pretty powerful. Verse 13, for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive the word of God, which you heard from us, so it's a word of God from people. We have to get humble enough to realize that a word of God often will come from people. 
If you're just waiting in the room for, for the Jesus UFO to show up and, and give you every instruction you ever need, that's cool. Uh, <laughs> you may be disappointed. <laughs> you know, he does speak to your spirit. Every day he should be speaking. But, you know, many times the word of God will come from someone. And you have to get over the fact that they're a person and they're not perfect. They may be younger than you. They may be dumber than you. They may be, I mean it, you may be the smartest one in the room. And you still need to learn that God can use a donkey to talk. So he can use that guy. They may be, to you, irrelevant. They might be, you might be, say if you, if God ever moved you somewhere and you were off somewhere deep in Alabama, and the church that he put you in, there was an 85-year-old man who, you know, all he knew all his life was country. And, you know, that's how he talks. And every, every illustration is a country illustration. And you're a city person. You don't get it. You know, and you say, he just doesn't understand me. You've got to realize that if God put you there, God, God knows who, who he put there. And he knows why he put them there. And he's able to use that man as, as irrelevant as he seems to you to speak something that you need to hear. Something that you need to hear, even if, you're, even if you're young and university educated and you think that you know everything that's needed to be known, God can use anyone. And you know, thank God, some of my heroes, I, I just want to tell you before I go on so you don't think I'm putting these people down, some of my heroes are guys like that 85-year-old man that have been faithful and served and seen the fruits of the Spirit, the power of God in their life, and they, don't, they, they haven't leaned on the crutch of uh, cultural relevancy. They, they've, they've been faithful in what they've done. And if you let yourself receive from anybody, as long as they're hearing from God, as long as you're speaking the voice of God, you're going to be blessed in life. If you'll only let yourself receive from people that look like you and talk like you and think like you, you're in for a disappointment. There's, you're just limiting. You're limiting what God, who God can speak through. And here he says, when we came to you, you received the word of God, which you heard from us. You accepted it, not as the word of men. Do you remember when Jesus said the good soil was somebody that heard it and accepted it? We've got to do that. We've got to hear it and accept it. And it says you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. So what is the force performing this work in your life? According to this, it, it says the Word of God performs its work in you. The Word of God performs its work in you. It doesn't say you perform the Word of God. Do you know that? God is not telling you to perform His Word. He wants you to receive the Word so that it performs its work in you. And we're trying so hard to do the Word and trying to act it out like it's a play, like something Shakespeare wrote. You've got to realize it's powerful. You're not supposed to perform the word. It's supposed to perform in you. It performs its work in you who, what's the last word? Who believe. Boy, is that a key. You say, why isn't the, why isn't the word working in this person's life? Now, I may not know every factor. You know what I mean? So say, you know, if you've been sick for seven days, I may not be able to tell you, why you've been sick for seven days. And it may not always be the smallness of your faith. Sometimes it's a big fight, and you need to just keep fighting. Sometimes you've been doing everything right. So I'm not one of those people that's going to say, well, it must be your faith. But I'm going to tell you, the common denominator, the one thing you need to have, you need to believe this, or it won't work. That's just the fact. It won't work if you don't believe it. Now, I'm not just telling you if you believe that you feel warm fuzzies, you're going to feel warm fuzzies. Do you know what that is? That's just psychological manipulation. If you believe, just Eric, you just need to believe you'll be happy, and then you'll be happy. No, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about real power here. I'm talking about stuff you can't fake. You can't just talk yourself into. How do you talk a man who's blind into seeing? You just believe you can see. Oh, I think I can. Yeah. doesn't work that way. <laughs> if 
Either there's power there or there's not. This guy had to believe it before he saw it, but then he could see. And we've seen blind people healed. We've seen tumors fall off people. We've seen paralyzed people walk. You don't just talk yourself into that stuff. But you've got to believe it. You've got to grab it by faith. Even if God used somebody that you just would never expect. Receive it as a word from God. Let it sound forth from you. Let it sound forth from you. He says in the, in the next book that he writes to them, he says, I want you to pray that the word of the God, word of God would spread rapidly. It literally says that it would run and be glorified just as it was in you. It says when the word came to them, it spread rapidly. Why does it spread rapidly? Because people can see that it works in your life. Because people can see that you're transformed, you're changed because the word was glorified in you. The word can't be glorified in you if you don't let it rule in your life. If you don't let it win in your life, it won't be glorified. But if it is glorified, it spreads. And it spreads rapidly. Amen. I'm so excited just to be with you guys. Um, and we're thankful for what God is doing in your life. And in you, this church and on Sundays and Wednesdays, I'm thankful for what God is doing. But I'm not content for all the sermons to be preached from a pulpit. I'm not content for the great messages just to come from here. Let it sound forth from you. Live it in such a way. Speak in such a way. Walk in such a way that the Word is performing its work in you. It's doing what it was designed to do. It's designed to grow. It will. Thank God when God speaks to dead things, they live again. When he sings over things, they live. The song is still ringing in the air. When he speaks, there's, a, there's this echo that just goes out. And it reverberates all through you if you let it. And, and if you let it in this one little area, if you'll allow me to use an example. I talked to a speaker the other day who has been studying sound for a long time speaking to us in Texture Canada. One of the things he said, and I'd heard this before, that many scholars believe, especially some of the Hebrew scholars, believe that when the world was created, that it wasn't just God speaking over things, that they say, now they believe that he sang over them. And that's consistent with other scripture that says he sings over us. I don't know if you ever read some of C.S. Lewis's work. He, he wrote something he meant to be an, a metaphor, an analogy uh, for... Um, the redemption story for creation for the Christian's walk. I'm not telling you you need to go out and read it, but there is a moment in one of his books where the world is being created. And Aslan, who's the character that's representing uh, Jesus in all of these things, and, um, Aslan uh, sings. He just begins to sing. And all of a sudden, these animals that aren't alive become alive, and these trees sprout up. And what's funny is, there was a, a, in the story, there was a lamppost that was thrown into the ground. And even the lamppost began to sprout and to grow. Now realize, that's just a fictional story. It's not on the same level as the word, but I, I think it illustrates something. And there were things that were still growing after it, and, and the explanation in the book was, well, his song is still in the air. And I, even though that's not, you know, scripture, it's just fiction, you can take that and leave it. But what it does for me is it illustrates something beautifully. That when God speaks, there's a sound in the air. There's a, a resonance. There's a song that he sung over you. There's a word that he spoke over you. And if you'll let it, even if it comes in small, it will expand and grow and bring life to things that have been dead for so long. And, and things can't help but grow when that sound is inside of you, when that word is inside of you, when that reverberation of his voice is inside of you. Dead things come to life. Dead things come to life again. Some of you have been doing this so long, you let things die. You just let things go. You let them die. But they're ready to come alive again. They're ready to come alive again. Let them come alive. If things have died, if things have got crowded out, if things have fallen asleep, let it wake them up. Let it cause things to grow in your life. If you say, I don't have the love that I need, let the love 
grow by the Word of God. The Word of God will cause it to grow. It will cause peace to grow. It will cause self-control to grow in your life. Thank God, patience. It will cause kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. And against such things, there is no law. Would you stand with me this morning? I want you to believe in the power of the Word of God. I want you to believe it to the very core of who you are, that if He said it, He didn't just command it. It will happen, and it will sound forth from us. I want the whole Midwest region to hear and to see the goodness of God through you. I want the Word to resound all through our region. Think about it. In a world before television, in a world before telecommunications, in a world before the Internet, it spread all over the continent. Don't you think it could spread much faster today? But that even if it wasn't for all those things, it would still spread. Does that tell you something? Because you know what? A sermon can spread fast because we posted it online. But what it tells me about their experience is that it spread from person to person to person. That it spread from life to life that it spread from house to house like a great fire, it spread. As much as we substitute all these social networks and um, new ways of communicating, it will never replace your impact on people by contacting people, by being in daily contact with them. It'll never, exp it'll never replace the impact of one life. And I believe that your life is meant to be that impact. The word is meant to sound forth, not to you, but from you. It'll come to you first, but once you receive it and accept it, it'll grow so big that you can't keep it to yourself. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I want to remind you how valuable all of this is. If you're new to the things of God, if this is weird to you, if this is strange to you, that people would be so excited about something so that you thought was a religion. It's not a religion. It's life. It's exciting. It's, it's, it's not something we believe. It's something we see. It's something we experience. It's something we live out. It's a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Bible says no one's seen God, but Jesus showed us what he looked like. Jesus was the image of the invisible God. He was the express image of the Father. He was not just a good man. He was the very expression of God in human flesh. It's a valuable thing. He was God and man all at once. And he came for one reason, one reason only. Well, he accomplished many things. But his goal, the reason he was sent according to his own words, was because God loved the world enough to send him. To take on the limitations of human flesh. To take on the limitations of humanity. The, the, the pain, the reality of what we deal with every day. The book of Hebrews says he knows what you're going through because he has experienced it. There's not a pain he does not understand. There's not a temptation he hasn't been tempted with. He already knows this. He doesn't just know it because he created you. That would be enough. But he experienced it. He lived it. He endured it. And he can sympathize with you. To sympathize means to have the same feeling. He feels it with you. And... Uh, this morning, I just, there's such a heart of compassion that God has for you. And for some reason, I know it's not what we talked about, but that's all I can really latch on to right now. This is all the thing that I, is coming to me continually. The minute we stood up, I began to feel this compassion, and I know that God has that great compassion for you. He feels it. He knows it. He loves you and doesn't, doesn't leave you alone. He's not left you as an orphan. You can't live the rest of your life like an orphan. He hasn't left you as an orphan. 
He's loved you enough to call himself Emmanuel, God with us. He came to be with you, not just over you, but with you, in you. If you've never, if you've never met Jesus, I mean, you've heard about him, you've known about him, you maybe even read about him, but if you came into this church this morning without knowing Jesus, without knowing the power of his resurrection, without knowing that you could live eternally with him and through him, I don't want you to go anywhere without discovering that He died for you. He took the penalty for every sin you'd ever commit. And every sin that we ever committed, even one, was an act of rebellion worthy of death. Even one was a terrible thing. But how many times have we sinned? And yet Jesus came and took it. And He paid the price not just for past but for future. And He bore the punishment severely for every single one of those sins. And thank God he did. But he didn't stay in the ground. You know that he came back and he rose from the dead. And it wasn't just something that a couple people saw. It says that in the end, hundreds of people spent time with him. He didn't just show himself once. He spent days and days with them. And they experienced it. And it was so real to them that when people would beat them and threaten them with death and say, just admit that all of this is a lie. They couldn't do it because they knew what they saw. They knew what they experienced. And they knew that not only did we see this two, three years ago, but we see him every day now. He's with us. How could we deny him who wouldn't deny us?